Welcome back to episode two of the WizWith podcast here on the first week of December. For our football team, it's not a good first week of December, Alex. Um, say hi to everyone here. How's it going? I'm not very happy today. Not That's very it. happy. Your host, Matt Morelli, with my co-host, Alex Marmelstein. Um, I'm pretty sure as far as the city of Philadelphia, we're not happy with our football team. I, I can't talk to one person who was satisfied or had any positive takeaways from that game. Um, I'm sure everyone saw that game and, and they know how poorly this team played. I mean, you lost to the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins were a two-win football team. We had talked about how poor this defense had been of the Miami Dolphins, you know, giving up 31 points a game. I mean, you let Ryan Fitzpatrick tear your entire defense apart. We're talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick. It sounded like it was, you held Tom Brady and Russell Wilson to under 20 points. And you let Ryan Fitzpatrick completely tear your defense apart. I don't understand. I don't think anyone understands. I don't even know if I have a positive outlook on this week against the New York Giants, frankly, because this team has just so many holes in it right now. And it's not like one thing I can say, hey, if you fix this in the offseason, we're going to be good. There's so many things that need to be done. Just a few questions, and we'll get into each of these. Is this the worst loss in Doug Peterson's tenure? Is this offense still a concern? And what happened to the defense? Alex, go ahead. I think this has to be the worst loss of his tenure as an Eagles head coach. I mean, look at everything that we had going on this year. Dallas was on is on its decline. We had Carson Wentz, even though wasn't looking to his top form, showed promise this past game. And everything that we said we had going for us was exactly was what went against us this week. I mean, the defense couldn't tackle. Our defensive backs couldn't couldn't cover Devontae Parker. You think you were covering Randy Moss this whole game. It was a very sad loss. And all I know is that I'm not happy. You're not happy. But more importantly, Jeffrey Lurie is not happy. And there might be some changes, just as you mentioned. Yeah, I think you saw, obviously, that we cut Mac Hollins. That's just a, a very small change. And I don't know if that was just something, you know, Howie had told Doug Peterson to do. I mean, the guy hadn't had a catch since September. I mean, the fact that you have cut two wide receivers in the past two weeks at this point in the season, I mean, think about that. What other playoff team or team in the hunt is cutting wide receivers? Seriously, I mean, who is doing that? It sounds crazy, right? If, if you're it is crazy. Hunt, you're cutting two valuable positions, and Carson Wentz clearly is still not getting any help. Nothing. He's gotten no help. I mean, Zach Ertz just had his worst game as a Philadelphia Eagle. I will say, you have Miles Sanders, who's starting to take form, but you have the injuries with Jordan Howard. You are not sure about what's going to come of Jeffrey now and then. Now, granted, Jeffrey had a pretty decent game. But is he going to be healthy next week? That's always a concern. And uh, you really don't know what depth you have. And oddly enough, it's funny that you mentioned uh, Matt Collins getting cut. Did you see who just signed him? Apparently the best team in football, right? The Miami Dolphins. <laughs> the Miami Dolphins signed him. They, they liked what they saw of him last week and thought, we need him on this team. <laughs> I don't know what they saw, but this would be like so ironic of him to to come out for the Dolphins this week and somehow have 10 receptions for 200 yards and two touchdowns. That That's something that would happen to this Eagles team. It's not unlike something that's happened before. I will say that stuff definitely comes back to haunt Philadelphia sports. I mean, at this point, I feel like the Eagles just have to reset a wide receiver. It's It sounds like a terrible thing to do, but you have no pieces and you have a lot of money into guys that frankly aren't doing anything. I mean, you're probably going to cut ties with Nelson Aguilar. You could cut ties with Alshon Jeffrey. At this point, you really have Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz, right? That's all you have. And not only that, but to have this outlook is probably the most positive way to go about it because look at the way that this Eagles team has been assembled since the Super Bowl. It's just been constant duct taping of holes. And now as the injuries pile up while these players are getting older, you're starting to see these holes open up more and more. So here's here's a, a big question I have for you. And, and I, I thought about this after the Super Bowl. Guys like Brandon Graham, someone who won you Super Bowl 
and you're giving a lot of money to at the end of his career, probably close to it. So it was Howie Roseman. He he did not learn from what Ruben Amaro did with those 2008 guys with the Phillies, right? He's he's latching onto these guys that help him win a Super Bowl. At some point, you got to cut ties. That's why I think the New England Patriots are such a good football team year in and year out. You win them, you win them a Super Bowl. They do not give a damn what you did for them. They'll cut ties with you next week if they don't think you're going to help the football team. That's just the Bill Belichick way. Now, I'm not, just, not saying the Eagles organization needs to be like that, but I just think there's a time and a place where you need to cut ties with guys who helped you win in the past because eventually father time is going to catch up. I agree with that completely. I mean, look at the struggles that teams have had following their Super Bowl appearances. That's honestly probably the same struggle most Super Bowl teams have. As a GM, you're thinking commonsensically, these are the players that got you to the promised land. We need to stick with them. But then you also realize later on that what they performed, how they performed, I should say, that year isn't necessarily a reflection of how they will perform in the upcoming years. And you're starting to see that in a lot of these guys on the Eagles themselves. So I'm going to, I'm going to go back to, to the Doug Peterson point here. A lot of people were questioning why he didn't run the ball when he, we were up 20 to 14. Do you have a take on this? Do you think, obviously you're playing the worst defense in the NFL. So if you just keep throwing the ball and everything that worked, but at some point you got to run, right? I mean, Miles Sanders had over 50 yards in the first half. What side are you on? Are you okay with him still throwing the ball? See, the one thing that I have about it, and I heard another analyst say this was, or sorry, multiple analysts say this is, just because you aren't running the football doesn't mean you're handing the game away. What it means is that you're continuing with the aggressive offense that you've had. Now, granted, our offense was pretty successful this weekend against the Dolphins. Everyone was getting involved. Ortega Whiteside, who you didn't think would step up at all this season, he got a touchdown. Aglor, who's been struggling, converted a two-point. Uh, you have Jeffrey getting the touchdowns, Jeffrey making long pass long catches. Uh, you didn't hear much from Ertz, but when you have all these pieces working for you, you don't need everyone to show up at the same time. And that's something we're not used to having because we're used to only one player stepping up here or there. So honestly, I don't think that running the ball would have made that much of a difference. I don't think that we, I don't think that we lost the game because of our clock management. I think we still had a lot of time left when they were up nine. So much time that we even did an onside kick, failed to convert, and still were able to stop them and get the ball back. So I think when you're talking about those few-minute differences, running the ball is not going to make that much of a jump. The only thing that I – the point I'll make here about running the ball, because I know it's just a kind of something that everyone always looks at at the, uh, the end of the game, win or loss, like, oh, why don't you run the ball run the ball more? It's kind of something we hear every week, but the, the only thing and only reason I think it would have helped is to keep your defense off the field because you're playing in, you know, 85-degree heat, which you hadn't done in a while. Gives your defense a little bit more time to rest because, I mean, we were scoring quick. I, nothing against the offense. I mean, it, listen, if you're going to score points, score points because it's the Miami Dolphins. Eventually, you're going to get to a point where – I think if you had gotten up and your defense made one stop and you got up 35-14, I just think the Miami Dolphins are going to quit. You know, they're a two-win football team. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. And frankly, we'd probably be talking much differently had this team had one football game. Um, and probably could have had some positive takeaways. Uh, I mean, still, like, even the offense putting up 28 points, they were still inconsistent. And they still had the drops and – you know, like I said before, Wentz didn't get any help. Maybe, I mean, Miles Sanders, that's about it. The offensive line played okay, but there's just too many holes. Like I said, I'm, I'm, this, this can't be fixed with, with one offseason move. And I agree with you because it goes back to that whole thing I was saying is the duct tape. When you think of that one move to make the difference, that's the duct tape approach. But one thing to backtrack on, though, was we lost by one possession. That game ended on an interception in the end zone. If somehow one of those wide receivers comes down with it. Now, granted, I wasn't expecting that pass to be completed. It most of the time isn't 
getting completed because their defense is just waiting and, and sitting on that ball, just expecting to get it, get a piece on it. Yeah, they're rushing. But through. if that exactly, and but if you catch that ball, this could be a whole different conversation. But it wouldn't be the most realistic one saying that this is not a sustainable football team, and this game is the exact reason why that's the case. So looking forward here, you're going up against the New York Giants. They're a bad football team. I think they've lost nine games in a row. Like, what's your take? I mean, are you even still saying, you know, can we definitely win this game? Um, I'm sure some people saw the news about Eli Manning not playing. Eli Manning's never played well in Philly. Like, I'm not even positive anymore. I, 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 I seriously, I don't know because you thought you were going to win so much so easily this week when you're, it was practically a home game. Yeah. And I mean, that's what you're about to say. Generally the first argument is, well, you take a step back, you learn from your mistakes. Do you now have a home game? Well, okay. We seem to have, it seemed that the offense learned from their mistakes and then the defense never really learned and started to regress all of a sudden from the previous week. You did already have a home game. Essentially in Miami, there was more, people showing up for in Eagles gear at that game than in Dolphins gear. And you could even hear that, hear the booing when the Dolphins were on the field. So you really don't know. Now, granted, generally when teams come off of bad losses, they will, they will overreact and have good wins, but you never know. Now, granted a new change of quarterback for the giants, that could be an uplifting thing. Now that you have the Eli Manning farewell tour, giants fans might come down, even though it is a Monday. I don't know what giants fans have else to do. I mean, it's not really much to celebrate. No, they don't really have much look to for much look forward to Eli Manning's probably not going to be a giant next year. So yeah, I could see them showing up uh, and I could see Eli, frankly, <laughs> it'd be very, very odd to see him play well at Lincoln financial field in his last game, uh, since he's never done so in his career. Um, gonna, gonna hit on one last, one last point here about the defense. A question I'll ask you, is it possible that this defense they stepped their game up because they knew they were going against Tom Brady. They knew they were going up against Russell Wilson. Now you look at, oh, we got Ryan Fitzpatrick in the Miami Dolphins. Do you think that has any, you know, reason as to why we didn't play? Well, maybe we just took it easy. Like, oh, you know, we don't really have to show up. Our offense is going to kill it. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a turnover machine, as we saw the first, you know, play of the game. Do you think our defense kind of had a different mindset going into the, this game than the other two? You know, I really can't imagine it. And, Normally, I would say, yes, I would have to say so. But let's not forget, last year, Ryan Fitzpatrick tore us apart with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A similar situation where, at the time, the Buccaneers were a laughable team. Now, granted, they also had two wins, just like the Dolphins did, except that was the third week of the year. And, <laughs> uh, But, so they knew what they were up against, because this whole defense is pretty much the same as it was last year. And they saw the exact same situation. Now, instead of Deshaun Jackson tearing you apart, it was, was it Devontae Parker? Devontae Parker, yes. Who, who, those catches. We had been rumored to, to, in the middle of the season, to go after. I think we didn't want to give up like a fourth round pick for Devon, you know, Devontae Parker. Who would have thought that that would be that fourth round pick, keeping that fourth round pick would be the reason we lost that game? And, you know, we're, we're probably going to take some wide receiver who we think is going to be the speed guy in the fourth round. He's going to be the slowest guy ever who probably can't catch or catch a deep ball. So, I mean, naturally, <laughs> naturally. You got I, I the uh, Jeremy Blooms of the world right there. Just, we have, like, can you even name, not counting tight ends, can you name any wide receiver that, like, in the past 10 years that has maybe worked out? I mean, Jordan Matthews was pretty good until he was traded. Got us a Ronald Darby who had a hell of a game this weekend. Chip Kelly for for, <laughs> for yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe we could transition some of our uh, our quarterbacks to the offensive side since for some reason they're always by themselves on defense. So we can always find ways to get to get to the open field. They didn't really know how to do that. Um, we keep we keep going on the negatives here. I, I want to get to the last point about the Eagles. They still have a chance to make the playoffs, so I guess we have to be positive. Um, they need a lot to work out for them, but it comes down to Week 16. We, we, we kept saying it last week. We're going to say it again. Week 16, you just you got to win out. If you don't win out, you're done. That's it. You have to win out. 
Dallas has a tough schedule, but I agree with you. I think you don't want to take into chance any kind of tiebreaker scenario. We haven't looked very good. I think winning out is the safest bet. It's a realistic bet, as hard to believe as it is. It really is. And that goes back to that Philadelphia false hope that we've always had. But I'll, I'll ride the train. The also thing that, that kind of sinks is um, playing desperate teams at the end of the year when they have nothing to lose. Kind of like how Miami was like the, with the trick play they did. That's a third week in a row we've had a trick play against us. Giants will probably try to somehow make it four. And then the Cowboys will make it five or the Redskins will make it. So it's probably not going to stop. They're going to find a way to, to keep doing trick plays against the Sorry. So that, we're going to end on our Eagles point there. Alex, give me your last eight. Are we going to win against the Giants? That's all. I just want to hear your prediction. Just give me something. I think I think we uh, we win by two scores. I think it's we're up. We win it by at least 10. Win by at least 10? Yeah. Okay. I, I think we're going to get to So I'd say definitely 14. Actually, I'm gonna <laughs> rise that to 14. I said two scores. I'll stick to it. <laughs> All right. I, I think we're gonna. I think the score is gonna be like something around like 27, 13, something like that. I, I think we're. Uh, I think we're a good enough football team, at least against the Giants. I should say at home on a Monday night, where our fan base is is truly gonna show up. So we're done with the Eagles. We're gonna transition here uh, to everyone's favorite segment here, the flags of the week. Um, I will let Alex take it off. All right, so for my white flag of the week is Rutgers' presence in the Big Ten. For the umpteenth consecutive year, Rutgers has been an absolute travesty in the Big Ten. Once known as the prestigious first team, first what college football team they played in the first college football game, they are now the laughing stock of college football. I can't even see how these guys are able to get how they're able to get recruits because all they know is that they're getting passed on by teams that are below the power five conferences because why play for a team that you know is going to get beat in day in and day out. The only thing they have going for them right now is Greg Shiano who may or may not have gotten a helicopter or a private jet to take that job. That dude is asking for the world. (laughs) Would you? Yeah, why not? I mean, that's the only way you're going to take the job. <laughs> exactly. All right, so I'm going to go to my white flag. This is, uh, I guess, not sports-related, I guess, technically. So a uh, Wisconsin town bans snowballs. Um, and anyone who is th- caught throwing a snowball, whether you're a kid or an adult, will be will be subject to fine. Uh I don't even know what to say about this. I mean, this is so, so 2019, 2020 upcoming right now that this entire world is going soft. Now you can't even throw a snowball at someone without getting a fine. Um, the town, and I'm sorry if anyone listening is is from this town or has ever been to this town and they say it's nice. Uh, I'm going to probably mess up the name. I'm going to say Wassall. Um, Wassall? Wassall or Wassall. So <laughs> if, if you want to go and take a trip up to Wassall and throw a snowball, let me know how it goes. <laughs> Yeah, send a, send a, tweet us a picture of your fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you make it up there, please, uh, you know, I'll, I'll FaceTime you. I want to see what happens when you throw a snowball. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my red flag uh, of the week are, is from the Rockets-Spurs game. The refs incorrectly called James Harden's dunk as a miss, which ultimately leading, ultimately leading to the Rockets losing the game. Now, what ha- now to be more specific, the game went into overtime, so that bucket would have put them up by two. And then, wouldn't you know, after what, was it like a couple overtimes? They lost by two. This is bad. Uh, I mean, they would have won outright in regulation. Leave you it at that. All that load management. That, that, that to <laughs> You're right. On. Yeah, they, they're both, both teams are probably pissed. <laughs> um, my red flag of the week is going to be the piss and miss, is what they're calling it. Um, so for anyone who didn't watch, this is one of my picks of the week as well. It, it won, by the way. Um, so the Ole Miss wide receiver, um, Ole Miss had been down by seven points. They were down 21 to 14. They scored with four seconds left. Uh, the wide receiver's name is Elijah Moore. I'm sorry, Elijah, if you listen to the show, I'm going to have to give you the red flag. Um, after he scored the touchdown with four seconds left, he proceeded to lift his leg up and get on all fours and act like he was peeing on the logo. <laughs> I'm 
on Odell Beckham Jr., who was five for it in the NFL, let alone this guy did it in an NCAA game where you, if you high five your teammate, you get a flag. So this alludes to the extra point being pushed back, which their kicker misses. So who's they the lost real the game by one on? point? <laughs> who's a real violation on the kicker missing that kick or the wide receiver i guess you could do both but t- like you're not going to move the kickback had the guy not been stupid right yeah, very <laughs> unclutch on all his parts very unclutch on all parts you want me to take it away with, with the checker flag here yeah you take it away all right so my winner of the week uh i guess it should be a group of people all together the fact that we're still talking about this 10 years later is why i made this the winner of the week it's the 10 year anniversary of mtv's jersey shore oh, so geez. i uh i can't believe it's it's been 10 years uh the reason i made it the winner of the week is the fact that they're millionaires from the show and we probably thought it was the dumbest show ever when we when i was in middle school like who in god's name are these people and how did they make all this money so that group of jersey shore they're my winners of the week the fact that we're still talking about them 10 years later so my winner of the week is mike moustakas after the last two years of having to settle for one-year contracts that were significantly below his value in my opinion he finally got paid. What was it? Four year, $64 million deal? Yeah, good for him. I think he's going to, they actually said he's going to play second base. That's exciting, especially. He's a good, he's a good fielder, too. You know, don't sleep on his fielding ability. He's a good ball player. Now, granted, he went to the Reds, so that's a, that's a career killer right there. But honestly, you know, I, I am very glad for him. You really feel bad when, after everything that had gone down, with the potential of what people thought was even collusion to prevent paying these stars a lot of money, he finally gets the last laugh. Yeah, it's, it's, actually, a, it's, it's a win-win for him because essentially he, if the Reds are bad, they can trade him to a contending team. He's not, you know, it's not going to break the bank for a team. Um, and he's going to make a lot of money if he ends up saying they're good. So it works out for him. And actually, that relates to my honorable mention, too. I think baseball fans are potentially the winner of the week. This week has shown that the past years of the long standoffs for contracts could be a thing of the past. With Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg, and Anthony Rendon meeting with teams, and then player, bigger-name players like Hamels, Wheeler, Moustaka signing, I think we're in for a, finally, after a long time, a nice, smooth, exciting offseason. Yeah, and then we got the winter meetings coming up, so even more could happen. Um, it's when you like this, you know, you like to see moves in baseball happen sooner rather than later. You don't want to see guys get into spring training and, you know, go get in there late. Kind of like what happened to Harper. He got in so late, he got off to a slow start a little bit. Um, this helps baseball, and it gets people talking about it. It's like a hot stove in the winter, so I think people are going to appreciate it. I agree. I agree. Awesome. So uh, we're gonna. End that here. I'm going to take you back through our flags of the week, and then we'll we'll take a quick break. So the white flags, mine was the Wisconsin town banning the snowballs. Alex decided to go with Rutgers presence in the Big Ten. My red flag of the week was the piss and miss, the old Miss wide receiver. Alex's was the refs incorrectly calling James Harden's dunk a miss, and it led to them losing the game. And my checkered flag, my winner of the week, is the cast of MTV's Jersey Shore. And Alex's Mike Musaka is finally getting paid. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Everyone, thanks for listening. We'll be back and we'll appreciate you listening. And we're here on the other side. And welcome back to the WizWith podcast. Here with Matt, I am Alex. And so to turn the page a little bit on the Eagles, let's, uh, let's start bringing into something a little more positive. You know, the Sixers have been playing well. So, Matt, what do you think about the Sixers right now? We're looking pretty good. Yeah, Sixers team last week finally getting into a groove. And I like the way the offense, and of course, I'm going to keep pounding the defense and, and how well they're going to probably be playing all season. Um, Brett Brown said at the beginning of the year that he thinks this team will come to fruition around Christmas. We're getting, we're not there yet. We're getting close. Uh, I like what Brett Brown has done so far, and I like what they did last week, and I'm really happy they beat some good teams. Uh, the Pacers are, are a tough defensive team. I'm pretty sure they're top five in uh, net defensive rating. Uh, 
very happy with what the Sixers did. And I, I think Embiid had a great bounce back week from from scoring zero points to uh, believe he averaged close to 30 last week in those three games. So very happy with Embiid and the way he was able to bounce back. And I think he didn't let the zero points phase him. Alex, what do you think? Overall, I mean, huge improvement. Even though we're still not convinced that Horford and Embiid are playing perfectly well together, they're still making it work. Tobias Harris is starting to find his groove shooting. Richardson, when even if he can't, if he's off with inconsistency with shooting, his defense still shows up. Ben Simmons has demonstrated why he's one of the best defensive players in the NBA right now, and he's really stepped up. Even though he still has trouble finishing to the rim, sometimes he'll make that pass back, and it'll lead to it'll lead to a turnover. You know, he, we're trending in the right direction, and what's crazy is that we still remain in fifth place despite winning the last four. Yes, yes, I saw that. And, and if I had told you at the beginning of the season and I said, hey, Alex, on December 4th, if you're looking back and this team is 15 and six, would you have been satisfied and would you have thought that we would be in fifth place right now? You know, I as positive as I come off, I'm actually extra critical. So I probably would have said I would have liked it to be closer to 17, 18. But I can't complain. Looking at how we're building ourselves up, we had a couple losses during that tough road stre- that tough road stretch that we had. But right now we're we're finding that groove, and that's what you want to see from this team, especially with everyone being so new. The entire core is still. I mean, what, half of it's new, essentially, including the bench. That yeah, we that's, what, that's what I think Brett Brown kind of said. Hey, they're not going to get into into the groove. They're not going to fire on, on all cylinders until around Christmas just because they don't have enough experience together. And still with guys sitting out and with guys being being injured and, you know, all the lineups and, and the changes that Brett Brown has had to deal with, I, I think, you know, probably either at or around Christmas is, is going to be a time where this team is just going to take off. Um, they've won a lot of games in a row. I think that that you, you kind of hinted to it earlier that that one bad road trip, you know, it's it's not really anything that I'm going to say is going to happen again. I just think it, it was an odd one where they were on the West Coast and that they would play, you know, the Jazz and they would play in high altitude in Denver. So um, I, I probably last week I probably sounded like I, I thought it was the end of the season. Um, hopefully I don't sound like that this week. Uh, now that they've won, and I'm not going to be like you know flip flopping all the time. Um, I like what they're doing, and I don't. I don't think it's going to end. I think it's only going to get better from here on out. Now, granted, there is still some room for improvement. I mean, we still had a rough start against the Knicks of all teams, where I think they were up by what about twenty. And granted, now you could always say, "Well, we knew we were going to win that game," but we also had difficulty closing the game against the Jazz too. If you saw, now, granted, you had two more minutes to the end of that game, we might have been seeing a different result there. Sometimes it gives me the impression that if we come off at a fast start, are we going to finish short? Are we just running ourselves out of gas? And does Brett Brown need to improve the rotations to prevent that from happening? Yeah, it's quite possible. But I think for for what Brett Brown has had to work with, if you look at the NBA, you probably could say if you look at maybe every single other team, I mean, what team is constructed to have four guys who are technically power forwards? I mean, you have, you have yeah. Joel Embiid, you have Al Horford. Tobias is technically a power forward. I mean, he's what, 6'8", six, 6'9"? Six, that, that's power forward. And then you have Ben Simmons. You have four guys on the court at one time that are technically power forwards. A, 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 you know, three power forwards in, in the center or however you want to count Horford and Embiid. Big man. Big man, yeah. See, I mean, what, what other team has guys uh, – you know, a, a lineup constructed like that. None, no, right? It's, it's definitely a learning curve, even for the best coaches. Now, um, and what I will him, say, I think I've got to give him more credit, just just be, just from that aspect. It, it's not easy to to work with. I will say, I was very critical of Brett Brown last year, but where I do like to give him credit is one thing I was very critical about Brett Brown last year was there was the way that we were passing. We weren't passing; we were doing constant handoffs. And 
honestly, that's not a way to run a team. And that's something we did for what the last two, three years, I'd even say with Redick, with just any shooter off the bench, even TJ, we did a couple of times. Bellinelli. Oh, especially Bellinelli. And then you look at this team and then out of nowhere, we have this team and Brett Brown says, you know what? It's time to stop that. It's time to adjust to the way that these guys know how to play. And I give him a lot of credit for that. I think he's also done a good good job of like the hot and cold stretches with guys like Trey Burke versus Neto, you know, having Matisse Thibel having to sit, you know, play less minutes some games compared to maybe Mike Scott or Furkan Korkmaz. By the way, Furkan Korkmaz is our best three-point shooter on the team right now. You probably wouldn't have thought that at the beginning of the year. You probably would say Tobias Harris. Now, do you think Tobias Harris, um, I know he kind of had that rough stretch where you kind of talked about a last podcast where he was sick. Do you think he's living up to, you know, his his extension, his his max yet? I think in the NBA, it's very tough to measure someone's performance by their extension just because generally it's more of are they a need and how how much is available at that position. I think there for what Tobias Harris is, there was not much available at all. You couldn't let Tobias Harris walk, especially knowing that Butler wasn't coming back. So I don't like to measure that. I think Tobias Harris is, is definitely serviceable. He has a much better deal than when Chandler Parsons got the max contract. I think anyone can tell you that he's no, by no means a bust. He is not a burden to this team. And that's exactly what you need is for him to be a role player. Yeah. And and I, frankly, we need him to be that guy that's going to take three pointers in the lineup because no one else really does outside of our starting five. Right. I mean, obviously you don't like Embiid shooting 25% there. You'd rather have him in the post and Al Horford, I, I'm pretty sure, is, is second in threes attempted on this team. You probably wouldn't have thought that at the beginning of the year either. Um, it's crazy. It guy really did, is. He signed to do that. You kind of had him there to kind of take you know the load off of Embiid, um, whether, whether he would sit out or to take less minutes if Embiid got in foul trouble. You have a guy like Horford, which is a, a great addition. Um, kind of uh, you know, get into my next point here. After the Jazz win... The Sixers improved to 10-0 in home court. You kind of said, you know, the five seed right now is probably where we don't want to be. Clearly it's not because every other team in front of us right now, I believe, is either one loss or undefeated at home. I'm pretty sure the Heat have not lost at home. The Bucks have only have one loss at home. Um, who else am I missing here? The Pacers, I believe, are a very good home team. I think they only have one loss. Celtics. And- and the Celtics have not lost at home. So we need to get to that one or two C because you do not want to be playing away games at any of those four, four arenas. You don't. No, you don't. And that actually, that actually leads to the question. Is the East much better than we thought? Yeah. I, <laughs> this, this probably goes back to a whole bigger question um, to my point about LeBron James, because I think when Le- whatever conference LeBron goes to, people just go the other way because they know they're not going to beat him. Uh, it's kind of funny how that works. And I, it, you know, maybe not at the end of his career right now, even though he probably is the MVP in, in my book. Um, it, it may have something, something to do with it. But yeah, I mean, you could argue the East is definitely better than, than the West right now. I don't think it's actually because of that. Because when you look at the players on paper, where all the movement occurred, a lot of people were moving out west. I mean, you had Paul George staying in the west, but he moved to the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, you have LeBron with Anthony Davis. Again, that's more consolidation. So even though the west isn't as deep as it was because there's more consolidation of these stars, you're still seeing the east as a whole, though, like at the the East and the West at the top, both being very dominant. And I think it's crazy, but I think the East plays with much better fundamentals. These players are developing at a much better rate. Look at Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler was was with the Timberwolves, looked good, was with the Sixers, maybe went a little down just because of getting time with the ball and that didn't really fit with the system. But you see him fitting in with a system that works perfectly for him 
And I think we're all shocked to see that because Jimmy Butler isn't really the first person you think of when you think of organic basketball. Yeah, I think the East altogether is more just like well-rounded. You kind of said it together. They play better fundamentally. I think the top five teams in the East right now are, I think, five out of maybe seven or eight in the entire NBA are, are the top defensive teams in the entire league. So that that right there altogether just tells you, you know, they're Dean up every single game. Or if you look at maybe a, a, a game in the West, like the Houston Rockets, what defense are they playing? Right? <laughs> I don't think the Lakers are playing much defense either. And yeah, that's, what... that's how you rest. But I wonder, though, if you want to bring that back, if you're not putting as much effort on defense, because defense is requires a lot more effort. And you can see that because look at the All-Star games. So much scoring. Little effort, high scoring, no defense. Is that going to affect the East come time for the finals? Is Are they going to get blown out by whoever represents the West? Because instead of taking that load that lacks load management approach, even though there is load management in the East, they still do that. With all the wear and tear you're going to have by playing defense, is that going to hurt you? Yes. Trying to get to the final My answer step. is yes. Yes. I, I think any team that comes out of the East, whether it be the Sixers, Celtics, um, Box. you know, Pacers, Bucks, whoever, whoever it's going to be, I think they're going to have a, a very tough series with the West just because they're going to be, they're going to be rested. You're more than likely that you're going to play Kawhi Leonard or LeBron James are definitely going to be rested and it's going to be very tough to beat them, you know, obviously with their, with their super teams, but they're just, I think once you get like looking deeper in, into their teams, um, clearly the East are going to have a deeper bench. But the issue is when you get to the playoffs, you're probably only playing what maybe seven, maybe eight guys. Your starters are out there for for more than forty minutes most of the time. Um, LeBron's not coming out of the game. Anthony Davis, you know, barring any injuries, probably isn't coming out of the game. Um, but yeah, I think the East is just kind of get beat up on each other all year. And in the end, it's going to hurt them come the finals, whoever it's going to be. Yeah, it's nuts. It's as though it's as though the East is valuing this home court advantage more than the West is. The West has all these super teams, and you don't see them beating up on each other. For them, it's just is what it's just going to be what it's going to be. But then you see in the East, you're seeing some great games, great finishing games, and that doesn't come at a cost without a cost. Yeah, and it almost like worries me for the Sixers to, to you know how how important they really do have to play in the regular season, and it stinks because you know I want Embiid to rest and I want Horford and Simmons and those guys to take a break at the end of the year and close to the playoffs. But you know if you're at that like you know maybe around the two or three, hopefully not the four, but if you can get to the two. Maybe the Celtics take over the one. You get to the two. That's very important compared to a three because you could end up playing, you know, the two seed and having to play four games. If you go to seven games in, in Miami, it's possible. What would you say is the most would be the least or sorry, the best of the the best worst case scenario for the Sixers this year? The best worst case scenario, I think, would be to get to the Eastern Conference Finals and lose. Now, can you get swept in the Eastern Conference Finals? You cannot get swept. No. How many? I, don't, I think I think they're too. I think they're too good of a team to be swept in the in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think they'll get there. I think honestly, they. I think it's going to be the Celtics, um, and I'm just worried about really? Brad. I do. I think Brad Stevens is just a good enough head coach. Um, I think they're a good team. I know there is a lot of hype around them because I think Kemba's a good player. Tatum, not so much. I think he's just very inefficient at times with how many times he shoots. But I think Kemba is actually better than Kyrie Irving. He seems to be getting along with the coaching staff and the players better than Kyrie Irving did. Um, That's just my take. I I think that's why it's going to be important to get the home court because we're terrible in Boston. It's really true. I mean, look at how we performed there historically. I know the teams are much different now, but, you know, the numbers don't lie. They do not. Home court is is huge. It's more than people think. All right. Well, we're going to move on to the Phillies now on hopefully a little bit more of a brighter note to end on that. Uh, 
The Phillies today signed Zach Wheeler to a five-year, $118 million deal. Matt, what's your thoughts on this? Alex, I love it. I, I, I love the deal. I, I'm, I like Zach Wheeler. His, his actual metrics and his numbers are, are very good, especially in the second half of the year. You put his numbers up against Garrett Cole from May, and they're very similar. And Zach Wheeler is probably $15 million a year cheaper than Garrett Cole. Now, see, where I stand on this is I like the signing. I, I think Zach Wheeler is a, an important addition to add, especially after completely neglecting your starting rotation in a year of stupid, stupid money last year. However, he doesn't complete your rotation. And what makes me nervous is, now granted, we thought the Phillies were done after they got Real Muto, after they got McCutcheon, after they got Segura, after they got Robertson last year. And then we ended up signing Harper. So I think anything is at play. Now, we're not going to get another Harper-esque haul. But at this, at the same time, I think that we're, we're starting to smell ourselves here. But we're by no means should we be done. I don't. You're right. I don't think we're done whatsoever. Whether it be, be a trade to acquire another, you know, guy in the rotation, maybe another outfielder, maybe you go third base. No, I don't. I don't think we're done. And I think the good thing about the Zach Wheeler deal is that it allows you, if if you can't make a trade, if you can't find a suitable fit for your prospects to get someone in there, it allows you to go out and get a, at a guy like Didi Gregorius. It helps you save money. Whereas a guy like Garrett Cole, if he's making upwards of 30 to $35 million a year, you're kind of handcuffing yourself. You're getting close to the tax. If you're keeping Zach Wheeler, I assume probably I, – I didn't see the terms of, of what each year. I'm going to say he's probably going to be even. Maybe they could give him a little bit more up front. Um, it helps you out because you can go after you know maybe Betances and Gregorius. Whereas if you get Cole, maybe you're only getting either or of Batansis and Gregorius. So I think it helps you out with, with filling in more pieces because like, like the Eagles, they can't fill this offseason and, and, you know, with duct tape on one guy. It, it's more than Zach Wheeler. For sure. You need, a, you need this complete overhaul. I mean, the pitching staff definitely showed you last year that it couldn't sustain itself. However, one thing I will say, though, that get pre, that gives me confidence in this team is you do not get rid of and you were, and as you saw we non-tendered Michael Franco and Cesar Hernandez you do not let go of two of your starting infielders without having a plan moving forward or at least having confidence of knowing what your next move is because right now we have Scott Kingery who is a wild card he could play any position that we have an opening for we can move Segura either between shortstop or second base, which I think second base we're starting to see is more of his natural position. But that still leaves you with another half of the infield. It also leaves you with a, a an extra spot in the rotation that we're going to need to fill probably, and maybe even a hole in our bullpen. So you said Batances. You've mentioned Gregorius. So who else do you want to see round out this roster? So after the Wheeler news broke, um, there was a report that Madison Bumgarner is going to make a decision by the end of the week. Wow. If I, if I were the Phillies, what I would have done as soon as Zach Wheeler said, yes, I would have called Madison Bumgarner and I would have said, this is what Zach Wheeler is signing for. We're going to offer you the same exact contract, same exact contract. I would do it in a heartbeat. Did I just hear nails on a chalkboard? (laughs) Oh my God. I usually agree with you too, but I I can't agree with that. Baumgartner has shown steeped, unlike Zach Wheeler, who has shown that he can maintain himself as a as a poised pitcher when healthy. Baumgartner has both. You have seen both his pitching ability, his fastball especially, deteriorate over the few past few years, and you also have seen his attitude. Where you you're already dealing with a firecracker that is Arietta. Do you really want to add another clashing personality to that mix with a declining fastball locking up to a contract that you might not be able to get out of? I I think that the Giants didn't deal Bumgarner because they had no ability to get rid of him. I think he's going to come in similar to Cole Hamels, um, 
I think Cole Hamels had a one year with a second year option or something. Uh, and yes, I think Cole Hamels, going to the Atlanta, Cole Hamels went to the Atlanta Braves today for one year, 18 million. One year, 18 mil. So I could see a guy like Bumgarner coming in two years, 30 mil. I think that's where he's going to land at this time. I don't, for two years, could be worth the risk. I think there's better players out there. I'm a big fan of Odorizzi. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but the Phillies were still apparently in on Strasburg. Now, I'm not going to hold out hope and put all, all my eggs in the Strasburg basket, but you also have lefty Wade Miley, who, even though struggled at the end of the season, still was very consistent for most of the year. And having someone like that to fill your third or fourth pitching spot, I don't think is a bad option, especially if it's a low-risk, low-reward, unlike the potential Bumgarner contract that you're talking about. See, here's the thing with Madison Bumgarner. I don't. I know you're worried about his age and, and everything like that, and his ability with his fastball. I think he's a guy with with a funky arm slot and a guy who doesn't have to just rely on. You know, do I have to put it? I'm sorry. Do I have to? You know, bust it by you to get a strikeout or an out? I think he can pitch, and I think he knows how to pitch, and he's done it for so long that. It's it's almost like the Jamie Moyer effect. Like just get the outs at this point. You know it doesn't doesn't matter how fast you can throw, just locate, locate, and locate. That's it. It's the three most important things for a pitcher, right? Location. In the day and age where we're we're seeing, you know, quote unquote juiced baseballs, location is the most important thing. And I think that Madison Bumgarner knows how to do that. I mean, I think his stats show otherwise, but I but I digress. I think that. We do, but what we do agree on is that we still need pitching. We still need another bat. Uh, so who would you want to see run out the roster more in the field? I mean, again, we still have a couple open slots. If we say we put Gregorius at short, I'm assuming that means you move Segura to second. Are you putting Kingery in center or third base? Which is a very weird question to ask. It's very weird because we brought him up as the second baseman, so you want him to play second, and now we're telling him to play third because Segura's natural position is second. So, and then put him <laughs> in center because no one else can play well, center. He, well, Kingery played center field in college. People forget that and don't know that. Um, so he does. He did have experience there. It wasn't like we just you know in the majors decided, hey, Scott Kerry, go out there and play center field, see how you do. Uh, he's actually not a big defensive center fielder because uh, he does have speed and he was able to track the ball pretty well. Uh, I, I would like to see Josh Donaldson actually for a year. Maybe he can fill the void while Bohm is ready. So that I guess that's why you, why you put, and not, not to drift back into it, but that's why you're putting more emphasis on getting a guy like Bumgarner who has that postseason experience. So that exactly. does make sense. That does make sense. Yeah. I mean, it, Outside of a, a few guys, I just think there's a lot of money that people are going to try to put into Ozuna and maybe people even try to go into to Corey Dickerson. But is there someone that you like? I mean, honestly, I like Kevin Pillar. I know that he has been declining. His speed is lightened up. His bat is lightened up a little bit. But I guess taking a more worst case scenario, a guy like Kevin Pillar would fit right in with in Philadelphia. Granted, you're going to need a couple more things to work out for you, but I think having McCutcheon back is going to be helpful enough for your lineup that you don't need to rely on getting a dominant hitter like Donaldson. Grant, because granted, I think Donaldson's going to require more than one year or an, or an extreme overpay, which is fine. But I think as we get closer and closer to the luxury tax, we want to make sure we can allocate as much towards our pitching as possible. I know the original stance of the Phillies was – Let's gr- let's groom our pitching and buy our hitting, but you can clearly see how well grooming our pitching has worked out. It really <laughs> hasn't. Right, and still we have not signed JT Romuto to an extension, which I thought was priority number one coming into the off season. You have to get it done one way or another. He's not going to get cheaper as as it keeps going on. It probably cost the Phillies money waiting because he got the Gold Glove and just all all the accolades that that came with him, the Silver Slugger. So you know. You kind of shot yourselves in the foot there, not trying to get a deal done maybe right after the season ended. But JT Ramuto is such an important piece. He's part of the core. If, if you count, you know, three or four guys, it's it's Harper, it's Nola, it's JT. And, you know, Hoskins had a down year, but you could put him in there if he bounces back. 
Yeah, definitely. And you know what I think though, what was JT Real Muto's benefit to signing a contract before the the accolades came out? If he doesn't win it, he doesn't win it. But I think I wonder if that's more on his end that he wanted to see what his true value was before being evaluated for a contract. Or you would say and, good agent. Good agent, yeah. That's very true. I mean, agents move the world. I mean, I I've learned over the years that agents are what run the leagues. It's not as much the GMs, but it's the agents. Yeah, I mean, that's their job, right? They, they're, they're putting all that out there for, for their player. It's their client. You know, they're, they're, their clients, the players put trust in them that they're looking out for their best interests. So, yeah, clearly JT's, I'm sure JT's agent probably said, hey, let's wait. We can probably get a couple million uh, more at the end of the year, maybe even a bonus uh, to kind of help with your accolades. It's probably something like that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess we'll, time will only time will tell. On that note, we're going to wrap that up. Uh, we got some more segments coming up. We're going to round out the rest of the teams. We're going to do a little bit of a top five, some food review, and we will catch you after this. Welcome back to the WizWiff podcast. Before we get started here on our top five, I just want to remind everyone of our Twitter here. It is at WizWiff. I'm going to start out. It's at W-H-I-Z underscore W-H-I-F-F. So if you disagree or agree with any of our points we had about the Eagles, the Sixers, and the Phillies, let us know on Twitter. We're happy to to debate here with you and let us know what you think about our top five. I'm going to get us started here in honor of National Cookie Day today. Our top five cookies between myself and Alex, I'll get it started. So number five is a general sugar cookie. Number four is a snickerdoodle. Number three is an M&M cookie. Number two, a chocolate chip cookie. And number one is a s'mores cookie. So I didn't know whether I had to say s'mores cookie or if I could count a s'mores as a cookie in general. So uh, I'm going to say s'mores or a s'mores cookie. Either way, it's my number one. I think that I think that counts because you know what? You, you look at an Oreo and Oreo is considered a cookie. It's just it's got a filling between two cookies. So you know what? I'm going to let it slide. How can I have anything? I haven't had some more of what? Oh, uh, yeah? You're <laughs> killing me, Smalls. <laughs> All right, so for my top five, I'm going to start with the peanut butter no-bake. Me, that was the my personal favorite in the college dining hall. Number four, the classic chocolate chip. The number three, the macaron. And not to be confused with the macaroon, which is just a piece of poop shaped in from uh, from coconut, but a macaron. That is a nice French cookie. If you ever see hey, what the ganache. Hey, macarona. <laughs> hey. Uh, <laughs> All right. My number two, the M&M cookie. And the number one, which I can't believe did not make your list, the black and white cookie. That is the epitome of all cookies. The vanilla and the chocolate icing on top of the cookie. I don't, I'm granted, you do have that balance with the s'mores. But I think that black and yeah, white. Yeah, well, I can ask the same question. You don't have a s'mores or a s'mores cookie on your five. No, I don't. <laughs> I thought for you being a uh, a baseball guy, you would like that reference. Oh, with, I uh, love that. <laughs> I love the reference. It's just s'mores falls out of my top five, my friend. That is fair enough. So those are our top five rankings. Let us know what you guys think on National Cookie Day. Tweet us your your favorite cookie. Uh, we're happy to go back and forth with you. You're going to transition here, uh, running out the rest of the Philly sports teams and a little bit of college sports. Um, quite possibly the best team in Philadelphia sports right now is going to be your Philadelphia Flyers. So props to the Flyers. They've won their last five games. I believe they're 5-0-1 in their last six, so they haven't lost in regulation in a while. Um, they had the most points out of any team in the entire National Hockey League in the month of November. So props to them. They're doing everything right right now, and I think it kind of boils down to the fact that they actually have a goaltender in Carter Hart, which we haven't had in God knows when. Um, I mean, our goaltender in the Stanley Cup is Michael Layton, so uh, we haven't had a goalie in maybe since Ron Hexall. Uh, finally, great to see Carter Hart uh, playing well. This whole team is, is kind of gelling together. Uh, we kind of alluded to it last week, just how young of a team they are. I mean, honestly, the core – Right now, everyone seems to be under 25. Uh, outside of Giroux and Voracek, like, Couturier is 26, Scott Sparrow is 26, Carter Hart is 21, Konechny 22, 
all these guys are so young and they're all producing. And it's awesome to see them finally have all these young guys in the NHL and really competing. It's, it's great to see. Yeah, that's it's crazy to see to see that the Flyers might be the most successful team right now in Philly sports. Also, as to use the key word of the day, sustainable. Very young, and they're meshing very well. Yeah, almost go- like the opposite of the Eagles, where these guys, as far as the Flyers, they're staying and they're not even in their prime technically yet. Where the Eagles guys, a lot of them are past their prime. Where, you know, Jason Peters is, getting, is closer to 40 than he is 30 at this point. Which is nuts just thinking about him as an offensive lineman still going, but he's, the struggles are there. Speak of which, so I'm going to take you now into some college football. Temple had just ended the year with a 49-17 win against UConn. And you know what is crazy? Temple is 8-4 and four right now, and they are the sixth best team in the AAC. Are we talking a power six conferences right now? Because you have well, yeah. three teams with over 10 wins. Navy is probably going to get their 10th win against Army this year. Four 10-win te- teams. And I think if, I, if I'm if i not mistaken, there are more teams with over nine wins in the AAC than the SEC. The, the bottom half of the SEC is awful. <laughs> and that's yeah, crazy. The AAC teams are probably better. Oh, no, trust me, you do not want to start talking smack using some of these teams here. Tulane is 6-6, six and six, Houston is 4-8, Tulsa is 4-8, UConn 2-10. No, UConn. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But So Temple, they miss out on the AAC championship, but they will probably get an okay bowl game, so positive there. Now we're going to go bring it into my alma mater, Penn State. Penn State beat Rutgers 27 to 6. And as I mentioned, Rutgers being the train wreck that they are, this was actually considered a poor game out of Penn State to start the game because of how slow of a start it was. And then Penn State finally started scoring. And with all that, Penn State NZ ranked 10th in the AP and college football playoff ranking on the fringe of getting a New Year's Six bowl game. So I think it's going to be if Ohio State blows out Wisconsin and knocks them further down in the ranking, the Rose Bowl might select Penn State to participate. If that's not the case, I think they'll get a New Year's Bowl game, but not a New Year's Six, like an Outback Bowl, or was it the Citrus? Who, who were they projected? To, if they got into the Rose Bowl, do they think it would be a team like Oregon? I, I would only imagine so. Rose Bowl would be great for them. I mean, you look at the after beating Rutgers 27 to six, I don't really think I look too much into it because they just played a very good game against Ohio state, probably a little bit of banged up. You played a very hard game. You were close in there. So, you know, maybe you're looking at Rutgers. Hey, who really cares at this point? You know, just, just stay healthy for the bowl games. It's Rutgers. They probably sent their, their students home for the, for Thanksgiving and then came back for all full on, uh, on Turkey for the game. <laughs> Yeah, well, at least you got an easy win there to, to end your season. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So now I'm going to lead it into the Philly Foodie Rank. So just to go over the rules again. So each week I'm going to pick one or two local food staples to add to the rankings. And this Philly stable can be located anywhere within the Philadelphia area, which that'll be determined by me if it's considered Philly area or not. And fancy sit-down restaurants, such as Zahav, which is my personal favorite, are excluded from this list. So in honor of National Cookie Day, I'm going to be adding to the rank locally based chain Insomnia Cookies. But you may not know, Insomnia Cookies was started by a student at UPenn back in 03 and is now based out of Newtown Square. So for Insomnia Cookies... Both Center City locations have a four and a half star rating on Google. Very high, in my opinion. So now, where I land with Insomnia Cookies, I went there today. And I did not know anyone ever went to this place before 10 p.m. Or even during the week. Are you allowed to? Is it, is it against the law? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think I broke the law today. <laughs> you got away with it. I got away with it. Well... At least I may have gone away with it. My stomach 
not so much. It was worth it. <laughs> it. It was. You know what's what's great is it it keeps it, it they keep their cookies together very well, and then they're still very chewy on the inside. And since it was, and since it was National Cookie Day, they gave me a buy one get one free deal. So I actually did my numbers what four and two got an M&M cookie and a chocolate chip, well really chocolate chunk cookie. And they did they didn't break in your hand, which is one of the most important parts of a cookie is can you hold it? Because and a lot of times it warm. It was warm. But in the end though, the sugar was a little the sugar factor for it was a little too much, a little more than a normal cookie that I could get anywhere else. Um I'm gonna I'm going to give it some credit. I was originally thinking this was going to be a bottom rank thing. I was vastly surprised by the taste. So I'm going to put it below Gino Steaks and above Fitzwater Street Bagels. So the current rankings now I have is Tocanelli's is still number one. Number two is Gino Steaks. Number three, the newly inserted Insomnia Cookies. And number four, Fitzwater Street Bagels. And I that what the college football playoff committee would think of your top four. Oh man, honestly, we still have many places to go. <laughs> it's like as if I was would screw that up too. <laughs> <laughs> it's as if I was ranking, let's just say, Baylor, Indiana, Buffalo, and Appalachian State. <laughs> I mean, there's still a lot more to go here, man. Sure, sure. So it's like right. the bottom of the bottom of the top twenty-five there, but still good, but not but not top tier. Some of them good. I wouldn't put those. I wouldn't put uh, Fitzwater Street Bagels by any means in my top twenty-five. Sure, sure. So, so what's going on in the city? For so, the big local news is two bears were spotted in Delaware County, and now a third bear has been found in Wilmington. The official city of Philadelphia holiday tree was lit up tonight at City Hall. This weekend, Franklin Square Holiday F- Festival is on Saturday, f- featuring a light show. Speaking of light shows, the Christmas light show at Macy's in Center City is now underway until December 31st, and it occurs daily every two hours from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, Matt, would you like to give us our games of the week? Yeah, let's go through the Eagles, Flyers, and the Sixers here. So the Eagles are going to play, as we, as we said, Monday night against the New York Football Giants. Um, going to be an ESPN game. And then we got the Flyers playing at home, uh, both against the Coyotes and the Senators. Transitioning to the Sixers, they are playing tomorrow night against the Wizards. And they have a back-to-back at home on Saturday and Sunday versus the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Toronto Raptors. Maybe a little bit of a rent revenge game for Joel Embiid. I bet you he might score the uh, the first bucket of the game for the Sixers. Hopefully it's a nice dunk on Marcus Saul. Uh, we could really use that. And then we're going to end it here. Um, finally, maybe get some my alma mater. Um, basketball team ain't doing too hot, but uh, we got the Holy War on Saturday. It's a big game, big tradition. It's St. Joe's versus Villanova. It's at Hagen Arena on St. Joe's campus. Uh, I will be in attendance. So uh, big game we got going. St. Joe's, uh, you know, obviously after finding Phil Martelli, not having the best year since a lot of guys leave, but still always fun to go to the, the Holy War. Uh, Going to transition here into my picks of the week. Um, Alex, what was my record last week? Oh, boy, Matt. Do you really want to know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, you let, were... let the listeners hear. They know whether to listen to me or not for, for this week. <laughs> so, Matt, you were 2 of 5 last week, leading you to a 2 of 5 overall. That is 40% success rate. So in my defense, at least for one of my picks, the over-under on the Baltimore game, uh, I picked that before I, they said it was going to snow and sleet. So, hey, I, I, I can't go against the record. It is what it is. But just saying uh, for you listeners out there, if you want to take it for what it's worth. So I'll get to my to my, my five picks here. But before, I will say there will be no asterisks awarded <laughs> at all to you. No bonds asterisks for me. Or Houston Asterisks 2017 World Series. Houston Asterisks. Nope. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to get in here. Um, this Again, this is no particular order. This is just what I like early on. Uh, I like Baltimore, minus 5.5 at Buffalo. I like the Steelers, minus 2.5 at Arizona. Uh, Oklahoma, Baylor, I like the over 64.5. Uh, Oklahoma has a terrible defense, so they let up a lot of points. They're always usually high scoring. Um, FAU, minus 7.5 versus UAB. Props to Lane Kiffin. 
FAU getting that dub. And then I'm going to go here, Hawaii plus 13 and a half at Boise State. Those are my top five. Oh, wow. So, um, Matt, what, what do you think, though? What do you think is the biggest lock of these five? Biggest lock? Ooh, What's that's the gar- I am, I'm betting on one game. What do you guarantee? If you had to bet one out of these five, I would. I, I like Baltimore. Lamar Jackson is playing out of his mind right now. And I don't think Buffalo is able to keep up with them offensively. It could be like a low-scoring game, you know, like 20, 20 to 10 or something. Um, something like that. All right. Well, that'll do it for our show. Matt, would you like to take us away? Yeah, we appreciate everyone listening to our, the second episode. Keep tuning in week to week. We'll, we'll post everything on Twitter. Again, I'll say the name here. It's the WizWiff podcast, and the name is at Wiz underscore Whiff. So W-H-I-Z underscore W-H-I-F-F. We appreciate all you guys listening. Um, please, please chime in on Twitter. We're, we're happy to hear from our listeners. Thanks again, guys. We'll hear you, and we'll look forward to all of you guys listening to us next week. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot.